Now, before we head further into this saga, I have a few points I want to correct. Some eagle-eyed, eared listeners wrote to me calling out a few errors I'd made. Let's go through those. Number one, William Holden played Joe Gillis in the film, not William Hurt. Number two, Bernadette Peters won her Tony for Song and Dance in 1984, not 1994. Number three, Liz Smith announced Patty was fired on February 16th, 1994, not 1993. Now, to my credit, I had all three of these correct in my notes. Something happened between my brain and my mouth when recording. I guess I just need to let the coffee kick in a little bit more before I hit record. Anyway, let's proceed. At the time my sunset obsession was in high gear, I was also obsessed with something else. Band. Yes, I was a band nerd. And my chosen instrument was the nerdiest of all, the French horn. Or as we called it, the horn. I prided myself in my accomplishments as a budding musician. Being a band nerd was a huge part of my identity. But then something happened that rocked that identity. As a true band nerd, I attended band camp. Camp Badawagam on the Upper Peninsula of Michigan. Down at Indian Lake, there's a camp that takes the cake at the band camp, Badawagama. For most of the summer, it was a basic youth summer camp, but for two weeks, it transitioned into a band camp, and music professors from across the state would occupy the pine cabins nestled in Iron County, Michigan. Together, we'd hone our craft by working on a concert we'd debut at the end of those two weeks to the community. The previous year, I was awarded Musician of the Year by the camp leaders. My photo was in the local Iron County paper. I was a star. The next year, I felt like the main character in my own movie, ready to reclaim my throne as the first chair in the Bada Band. But when we did a quick playing test to get our assignments at the first day of band camp, the horn professor, Dr. Willard Zirk, seemingly had no idea of who I was from the previous year, and I was promptly placed and last chair. Those next two weeks, I seriously questioned my identity. Was I no longer a musician? Was this all a lie? Should I just give up playing French horn? I felt betrayal down to my bones. Now, in retrospect, I likely didn't practice the material as I should have because I was sure my previous recognitions would precede any abilities. I learned a big lesson that week at Camp Atawagama. Life is fickle and always be ready to prove yourself. Be humble and don't take things so personally. It's a lesson I learn over and over and over again. I'm Broadway Bob, and this is The Sunset Project. Episode 6, Betrayal. Sunset Boulevard is a classic film about the painful ills of movie stardom. 
As it turns out, the painful ills of Sunset Boulevard translate quite nicely to the stage as well. There is a big leading lady brouhaha brewing on Broadway. Glenn Close proved she can play this role better than anyone. The glowing reviews for her version of Norma Desmond knocked Patti Lapone, who opened the same show in London, out of a chance to take the show to Broadway. Now, Glenn Close will be going instead. Glenn told us this all came as a surprise to her. I know really nothing about that. I don't know what her deal was, and I, I certainly came here thinking this is all that I was going to do. Patti Lapone will not comment on all this, but she reportedly was so devastated by the news that she could not perform her London show the day she heard. When we left off, after months of speculation and press churn, the news came out from Liz Smith that Patti had been fired. Yes, she found out via a gossip column. Not one person from Rugg called and relayed the news to Patty or her agent. Not only was this devastating news, it was a horrible way to learn about it. They didn't offer her the last dignity of telling her directly. Rather, they, Rugg, used it as a headline-making moment at the expense of the humans on the receiving end of the news. Patty was blind with rage. As the legend goes, she trashed her dressing room, starting with the floor lamp. She hit everything in sight. Wig stands, makeup mirrors, furniture. It was like all the stress and bullshit that she'd been putting up with while trying to perform one of the hardest roles in modern musical theater had all come to a head at this very moment. She then took that floor lamp and threw it out her second-story dressing room window. Her castmates, which she'd grown very close with, rushed to her door as the commotion echoed backstage at the Adelphi Theater. Patty fled in tears, letting whoever was listening know that she wasn't sure when or if she'd be back. The next day, Rugg confirmed the announcement. Now, the point around who made this decision remains in doubt. Andrew has said that it was never his decision. He said that Paramount, who owned the property rights to Sunset, wouldn't support the show if it went to Broadway with Patty. Paramount quickly stated that they did not have any input into creative decisions relating to the show. That was all Andrew and Rugg. Director Trevor Nunn wrote to Patty, stating that he had removed himself from the decision-making process. My opinion? This was Andrew and Rugg's decision, which they got blessed by Paramount. And from that, I gather based on correspondence between Patty and Andrew and her creative team, no one knew how to have a difficult and honest conversation with Patty. They wanted everyone to be happy and get along. But that's not part of managing a business. You do need to make tough decisions, and you need to treat any impact of people with respect. It was like Rugg wanted to forget this failed London production even existed now that LA had been such a success. Patty's efforts over the past year to get the show off the ground were a thing of the past, and they all collectively turned their head and focused on Broadway, leaving Patty broken and forgotten. The one person who I feel is innocent in all of this is Glenn Close. Glenn made it very clear that she had no idea Broadway was on the table for her. She had her job to do as Norma in L.A., and that was it. This news, I truly believe, was also a surprise to her. I don't believe she Eve Harringtoned her way into the Broadway production— I just think the show was in much better shape in the L.A. incarnation. And she's a talented actress. She's not a vocal powerhouse, but her Norma was a valid and exciting performance. And also, vastly, vastly different from Patty's. It wasn't like Glenn was stealing from Patty. She did her own interpretation, and people responded. 
Now, it's pretty obvious that I've been pro-Patty in this podcast so far, but the one area I very much disagree with her on is her beef against Glenn Close. In her book, she criticizes Glenn for never having called her to wish her good luck in the show's premiere, or to apologize for what had happened. But given Patty had made it very clear that Glenn was not to be anywhere near her during her run, would you blame Glenn? She probably felt it was like pouring gas in the flames by ringing Patty up. And I'd also like to know if Patty called up Elaine Page to thank her for her work in Evita back when Patty took the role Elaine originated in London. If she did, I'd be very surprised. My point is, Patty's energy should be focused on Andrew and Rugg for his mismanaging of this entire thing. Glenn is a working actress, just like Patty. By having this grudge against Glenn, which I think still exists today even though Patty says that her and Glenn made up, it just makes Patty look bad. So back to London. Patty has left her dressing room a mess. Patty, her son, and her husband Matthew escaped for a few days to collect themselves and figure out their next move. At this point, Patty was just ready to quit, but all her colleagues told her the same thing If you quit, you'll get nothing. If you continue to perform to the end of your contract, which still had around another month to go, she could fight for a settlement. Patty had already been fighting for a year at this point, but she knew she needed to get what she was due. Everything done will be justified by my foundation. So, she called the best show business lawyer around. John Breglio. Breglio had represented the likes of Sondheim, Bernadette Peters, and Bob Marley, so he was used to working with personalities. He flew to London and mediated the settlement with Patrick McKenna, Andrew's uh, right-hand man and lead accountant, I believe, though it's kind of unclear. Meanwhile, just a few days later, Patty did come back to the theater and proceeded to do her show, and her fans reacted to the news. Her sunset scrapbooks were teeming with letters of support from her fans, colleagues, peers, and friends. Betty Buckley, who went on to replace Patty and Glenn as Norma, wrote Patty a beautiful note stating that, Regardless of the ruthless games people play, everyone knows the truth. You are one of the elite, top-of-the-line, state-of-the-art actresses of the American and British theater. One fan attached a mini plastic penis, like you'd find on a straw as part of a bachelorette party favor, to a letter. An arrow pointed to the penis, stating, Lloyd Webber's dick! P.S. He hasn't even noticed it's missing. I personally enjoy that Patty decided to have this plastic penis curated as part of the Columbia Rare Books and Manuscripts Library. And another fan. I was so angered and saddened to read that you would not be playing the role when it came to Broadway, and I was incensed at the shoddy way it was handled. Then there was a letter from the acting company, Patty's alma mater from Juilliard, writing to her stating that it's a shitty situation, but hopefully that opens her up to do something better. Great West End leading lady and director Julia McKenzie wrote to Patty saying, To the one and only Norma Desmond, this lovet is thinking of you. Julia and Patty were nominated for the Best Actress in a Musical Olivier Award in 1994. Julia actually won, and if you haven't seen clips of her performance as Mrs. Lovett on YouTube, check them out. It is stunning stuff. And then there was a note from Andrew. It was sent February 28th, and it was, as you'd expect, more of the, I'm sorry I had to end this way, it wasn't my decision, you're still a star, I hope we can work together again sometime. And then it ended with, oh, by the way, wouldn't it be smashing if you replaced Glenn in L.A.? Yes, Glenn was leaving the L.A. company to go to Broadway, and they needed a Norma to replace her. 
As Patty says in her book, her response to herself was, go shit in your hat. As Patty gritted her teeth and finished her month of contracted performances, she'd often call her lawyer, John, before a performance from her dressing room to ensure he understood how humiliated and hurt she was having to go through with this. Breglio would often remark back, Is this the right state of mind before going on to perform? She'd reply, It's the perfect state of mind! And oh boy, was it ever. Those who saw her performances following her firing say it was like night and day. She was raw and feeling it. But they weren't without issues. The final matinee, the house wouldn't descend. The show was put on pause, and Patty came out and sang a cappella a hundred years from today. A song written in 1933 by Victor Young and Ned Washington, which Patty would use as an encore in her solo shows from that point forward. And as a dark joke that only the theater gods can contrive. The set broke down again in that evening, her final performance, and she sang the song then as well. Here's a clip from that performance. You don't know it yet. It's the strangest show, and this afternoon, the show stopped as well. And somebody back here dared me to go out and play the house, which I did, and I sang this to this afternoon's audience. Life is such a great adventure. No one in the world can sense what we do here below. Why take a kiss to pass them around? You'll find my reason is logically sound. Who's gonna know that you pass them around a hundred years from today? Why give a fantastic tip for a queen? You're never heaven, a mother's a queen. If you had millions, what would they all seem? Hundred years from today. So laugh and sing. They love the They have the argument. And always on beneath the sun. Bound to make you feel that way. The moon is shining on that second time. Twins make no sense. The audience was then ushered into the lobby while the technicians worked to repair the house. Rumors spread that Patty was waiting for another million dollars before she continue. But the show went on. Here are some clips from Patty's final performance on March 12, 1994. You can almost hear her on the verge of tears.
Speaking of those final performances, it's one of the things I wish I could go back in time and see. I bet it was just thrilling. If you were there at one of those final performances, I would love to speak with you. Contact me at thebroadwaybob at gmail.com. Following her final performance, Patty says, In the midst of all this overpowering pain, there was this incredible outpouring of love that I will never forget. I have said that perhaps I went through the Sunset Boulevard saga to have the memory of that closing night. And, just like that, it was time to head back to Connecticut and try to put this drama behind her. Her settlement was reached a few months later, in May 1994, as the New York Times reports on May 18th of that year, Andrew Lloyd Webber and Patti Lapone have buried the hatchet, apparently. According to a statement, the two have reached a settlement. No terms were released, and none of the principals were talking yesterday, but Miss Lapone has said earlier that it would take more than $1 million to buy her out of her contract. Patty feels very strongly that really useful was fair to her, said Miss Lapone's agent, Robert Duva. In the settlement, Mr. Lloyd Webber said, I regret the circumstances which led to this situation, and I'm happy to see it ended. End quote. Patty famously went on to use that money, which she called blood money, to build her Andrew Lloyd Webber memorial pool in the backyard of her Connecticut property. Oh, Andrew! Yes? Thanks for the swimming pool. You shot Mr. Mistopheles. Oops. Despite Patty having a new pool, it took her months to heal mentally. She went on Prozac and consulted a therapist. However, the trauma also manifested itself in physical ways. Her retinas almost came detached, and she lost her voice. On a vigorous height in Arizona to work out her pent-up energy, she overexerted herself and burst a blood vessel, resulting in a requiring potentially damaging vocal surgery involving cauterizing the blood vessels around her vocal cords. Following that, she started a vocal rehabilitation process with famed vocal coach Joan Lader, who'd worked with the likes of Madonna for the Evita movie and nearly every Broadway star under the sun. Patty says she finally learned a vocal technique at this late stage in her career. And I agree. She actually sounds better now than she did back in the early 90s. It's a more supported sound, and she uses her voice with economy, letting her hit those big notes only when necessary. Also, Kevin Anderson, her Joe Gillis, got burned by this entire thing. He was also supposed to go to Broadway with Patty. Following the show, he got into a really horrible motorcycle accident. And it seems like he's had a tough time since then. I mean, if you read his self-written IMDb bio, that's all I'll say. With the pesky dramatics of having to pay off Patty's contract behind him, Andrew was focused on the Broadway production, which was to open November 17, 1994, with previews starting on November 1st. But there was just one issue with the L.A. production. The intent was to keep the L.A. production open while the Broadway production started. But Glenn's final performance was on June 26, 1994. They needed someone to replace her, and Patty already declined. Who could the L.A. Norma be? Don't fuck with me! 
fellas! This ain't my first time at the rodeo. Enter Faye Dunaway. Andrew's legal troubles were just beginning.